0: me podcast. Today I have Dr. Lisa Bravo, who is going to chat with us about a little bit older age group than we normally chat about. Actually, we're going to talk about teenagers. We're going to talk about adolescents. But the really cool thing about parenting is that while adolescents are like their own beast, <laughs> they are <laughs> still are humans, just like we are, just like our toddlers are, just like our babies are. And so the principles that Dr. Bravo is going to talk about with us transcend age and um, and are about how do we navigate it when our kids are having really extreme behaviors that we are having difficulty with. So welcome, 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 Dr. Bravo.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so excited about talking to you today. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your training, and then tell me about the work that you do individually with patients, and then uh, on a larger scale. Okay. Well, um, I am a doctor of behavioral health. I've been in
1: private practice um, for more than a decade, and I've been working in mental in the mental health field with teenagers for twenty plus years. Um, that's sort of where my passion lies: is teenagers. Um, I started out in early childhood development. So my background is very much about developmental stages and kind of how how humans develop over time. So um, what I find really fascinating, I used to I used to say this when I would speak at parent conventions about that, really, your teenager if you if you're parenting toddlers right now, that's very similar to the stage of adolescence. Only they're taller, and yeah. they're a lot more precise in their in their yeah. barbs, and um, we have a lot less control over how they um, unravel in those moments. So yeah. if you're parenting a toddler and you're ready to pull your hair out, um, I just want you to know, like if you can get your kind of get your hands around this developmental stage when
0: they're teenagers you're going to feel a lot more equipped. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and and what made you really interested in writing because you have a book that's coming out, The Bravo Effect. So what made you really interested in working specifically with teenagers who are having extreme behaviors or extreme teenagers as you call it mm-hmm. on, on the book cover. Mm-hmm. Um in, in that area and writing about it? What, what made you really interested in that? Well, I think um, there's
1: a few things. So I'm a parent of two young adults who went through the teenage years. One of them had a much bumpier ride than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think um, as a parent, I have, you know, kind of that insider knowledge. You know, you can go to a therapist's office all day long, but if they have not parented a teenager who's been in the woods it's very hard to, um, I, I think, trust that that advice sometimes, and sometimes yeah. it's not really helpful. So um, I think as a parent of a teenager that um, really challenged me and stretched me, I learned a lot of, of what I talk about in the book as a parent. Um, I was also a really difficult, rebellious teenager. So I have firsthand knowledge about what was motivating those behaviors, what mm-hmm. I felt like I needed at the time that I didn't necessarily know how to articulate, know how to ask for, mm-hmm. and um, I think um, as a as a as a therapist working with teenagers, lots of times they have, you know, verbal language is not their first way that they're going to ask for help. It's mm-hmm. it's always through behavior that we. They get our attention in a certain way. They get us to stop and and, um, focus on what's going on. Um, So I really want to talk about how behavior, if we learn to er interpret the behavior instead of discipline the behavior, we're going to have a much better chance of connecting with our
0: teenagers and really understanding what's going on with them. Yeah. And was that kind of the premise for for your book for feeling like I need to get a specific message out? Was that a lot of people were looking at their teenagers like I need to curb this by correcting it? I need to curb it by disciplining them instead of going about it like, oh, they're raising a red flag. They're trying to tell me something. Right, right. And and I often kind of liken that to,
1: you know, we often parent um parenting teenagers is a lot. And I talk about use this metaphor in the book. It's a lot like, um, Trying to um, parent a a goldfish with a shark fin, you know, so so you have this shark fin coming at you full force and you're trying to kind of keep it at bay and you're afraid and you don't know what's going to happen next. So we come from this place of fear with our teenagers lots of times because we don't really understand what's going on. And we've never done this before, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, there's this assumption that if you're the parent, you know what to do. But the truth is we always default to how we were parented. So if we come from parenting that wasn't necessarily effective or wasn't um, was dysfunctional in any way, we're we're likely to repeat that behavior because we don't know what else to do. So unless there's a skill set that's different than that and an understanding that's different than that, we're not going to do anything different so when yeah. when we're parenting our teenagers if we can look beyond that shark fin that's coming at us and realize that there's this goldfish inside that's very sensitive that's very colorful that's very creative that's very passionate in certain ways and we can see beneath the behavior and really understand what's driving it we will have a much better way of first of all understanding what the need is that isn't being met in that moment but also being um being aligned in a certain way, um, there's always room for discipline. There's always time for discipline. Sure. But in the heat of the moment, that's not
0: the time to deliver discipline. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, too, you know, with our toddlers, right, they have these sweet, cuddly moments. They climb up on our lap. They give us right. a big hug, you know. Mm-hmm. And and teenagers sometimes will, like, give us the stiff arm and be like, no, mm-hmm. out of my room, you know, more than that. And so I think it can be harder for the parents that I see in clinic absolutely to see their child as that soft inner being who just mm-hmm. still wants love and still wants connection from their parents, still wants understanding, right you know, um, that they, they appear more porcupine bristly (laughs) more Mm -hmm. often. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, uh, it's, it's harder to, to see beyond that shell beyond that outer layer for them. Absolutely. Okay. So what is the first step in moving from more of a discipline first approach? Mm -hmm. Like we said, there's always room for discipline and every Mm -hmm. single expert that I have on, you know, we, we talk a ton about like kids are raising the red flag or looking kind of for the Mm -hmm. emotional flags first. And all the time we're saying, we're not Mm -hmm. saying be soft on your kids all day, every day. It's fine to have like limits. You need boundaries for your kids. Mm -hmm. You know, your kids, they, they need to have rails on the bridge of their life. Right. That, that is Mm -hmm. part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's a difference between approaching first with discipline or -hmm. approaching first with something else. So tell me what's the first step in kind of shifting our, our approach.
1: Well, you know, in my practice, I often get families and they're on the heels of a crisis. So, you know, they don't just show up for therapy when everything's going great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So lots of my experience has to do with helping parents sort of De, de um, escalate crisis and understand what the crisis about is about, but also how to see that crisis as an opportunity for the yeah. family to kind of reprioritize and regroup and start over as a family. And so, in my experience with teenagers, I have never, and I, I one hundred percent, absolutely mean this. I have never met a teenager that does not need or want or desire to be seen, loved and heard and Mm -hmm. to have connection. And so even if their behavior looks like, you know, they're, they're throwing up middle fingers at you, Mm -hmm. they're still connecting with you. They've just learned that they get more of our attention of our relationship of our connection when they've been the most dysregulated or they've been the most adversarial. So Mm -hmm. what, what, and in, in what happens with, especially kids with, that have really extreme behavior, is we tend to focus on that. We, we get really involved, and sometimes some uh, teenagers will share with me that in a family session, this is the very first time that their parents and them have been all in the same room with no, you know, uh, TV or no devices, mm-hmm. and they're actually talking and looking at each other. They, they, lots of them will say this is the first time they can remember that in years, And it's very jarring and scary for them. But when they can learn that there's another side to how we interact, it's not always about a lecture. It's not always about, you know, come sit with me on the couch and let me tell you what you did wrong today. But really connecting and nurturing that relationship from a different angle. So what part of what I talk about in the book is really... That connecting and creating those those relationships um, before there's a crisis is super important. But if mm-hmm. you're at the point of crisis, it's not the end of the world. It's actually really fertile uh, ground for change to happen. And if we can really take um, that and use it to our to our advantage, there's a lot of changes that can happen. So in the in the book, um, I, I call it the Bravo Effect um, because. BRAVO is an acronym, and it stands for behavior, relationships, attitudes, values, and opportunities. And I use that framework when I work with families and when I work with parents. And, you know, because the behavior is the first line of what we see with kids and we, it, gets, it gets us noticing and tuned in in a certain way we we know we all we need to know what their behavior is but we also have to be able to understand what our behavior is in that relationship how are we dancing with our teen in that moment how are we showing up for them what are we modeling how are they perceiving what we're modeling so it's sort of like a yours mine theirs kind of approach as well um mm-hmm. so it's kind of multifaceted but it's really simple so behavior is the first piece where is Wait, our can relationship I ask you-
0: Sure. ask you a question about that. So with the behavior, what are some of the things that you see parents sometimes doing that are exacerbating or kind of their piece of the behavior? Yeah. So it's easy to tell with a teenager. It's a great
1: question. It's a great question. And here's where I think parents struggle the most because it's they're so focused on parenting in that moment where their child's being destructive or their child's being out of control or their child is being disrespectful and they get so locked into that moment that they're, they're not really aware of how they're showing up in that moment. Lots of times parents will tell me, I want my child to be respectful, but they have been incredibly disrespectful to that child, or I want my child to be patient, but they've been incredibly impatient in that moment. And, um, the way that teenagers see that is it 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 degrades your trust with your teenager because they see it as, well, it's more like do as you say, not as you do. And they feel like their parents are hypocritical in that moment. And yeah. um, teenagers today are very um, aware of the justice and injustice that happens in their lives. And they're very yeah. vocal about it. And there's a lot of reinforcement about your rights and things like that. But they don't really necessarily know what their responsibilities are. So part of it is helping kind of change that structure in a way that, so they understand what they have to take responsibility for in that moment. But parents also have to take responsibility for how they show up. And if they expect their child, uh, you know, if I lose my temper with my teenager and I call them all sorts of names and I walk away and slam the door and then they do the same behavior it's it's not it's what I've just modeled for them, and I have to take responsibility for that, so that I know how to show
0: up differently the next time. Right? Yeah. No, I um, you know, on the podcast, I always am like just sharing stories of me messing up because right. I feel like if 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 you can see a pediatrician messing up, then uh, you'll feel even better about yourself when you have <laughs> messed up, right? right. Um, and I notice this a lot in terms of the patient's piece because. We're Mm -hmm. all moving so fast. We have things we need to get our kids to. I want them to get out the door to get to their preschool or to their camp Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's such a good opportunity, I agree, to get curious about, huh, why am I feeling so stressed in myself right now as this little person is trying to put their shoes on and it's Mm -hmm. not going fast enough for me? Is it because I didn't maybe wake up early enough to... Mm -hmm. Get myself ready, so now I'm rushing out the door. Is right. it because I have actually too many things stacked too closely together on my schedule, and so I am like forcing them to kind of change lanes and and mm-hmm. make little transitions over and over and over again too quickly in a way that doesn't serve them or me? You right. know, so I I I think for all parents that's something that we can really think about, and then I also really strongly agree with you about just this idea of mimicry <laughs> my almost eight-year-old the other day she's redoing her room she went from this like emo descendants look um <laughs> to a like flower theme. Mm-hmm. which I don't care what she does in her room it's right. all detail stickers mm-hmm. but it just is signs of the times of like she's mm-hmm. having a really rough time and now she's feeling mm-hmm. really more herself right mm-hmm. and she looks around the room we put it up and she goes damn that looks good and I'm like damn she does. We do that all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, right. I think I say it sometimes in that way, in like right. a you uh-huh. know a positive, a joking yeah. kind of way. But right. still, out of the mouth of babes, it comes mm-hmm. back to your ear, and you catch it like, oh, you can't say Ooh, that word. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> that's uncomfortable. Uh, and so, you know, I think just an a, an invitation for listeners to. Notice you don't have to get down on yourself, but to mm-hmm. notice the things that you are doing that maybe you could make a shift in or change completely because your kids are watching you and and are modeling and you're modeling for them really well.
1: And I think that's a really important point because parents will bring kids to teenagers and you know kids to me all the time because they say my child has poor self regulation, my child's that you know um, is so emotional. I don't know how to help them, but. When we can kind of look at how they're modeling certain behavior and they can really hear it and and understand what their role is in this dynamic, then they can shift it. And what happens, it's such a great opportunity for uh, for teenagers and for for kids to learn how to take a deep breath. So what I say to parents is in that moment, I want you to say, okay, pause. I'm gonna take a deep breath. I don't I don't wanna talk right now because I'm so angry. I just don't want to say what I'm thinking because that's not gonna be helpful right now. So I'm taking a deep breath and I'm letting it out. And I will be with you when I feel like I can talk to you in a way that I you deserve to be talked spoken to. And then I'll yeah. walk away. And what I'm doing is I'm narrating for them my process that goes on inside my head mm-hmm. so that I and I'm also letting them know. I can't, I can't manage myself right now in a way that I'm comfortable with. And so I'm going to give myself a minute. And then I'm going to come back and talk to you. And what happens for for teenagers is it's magic. You know, once they see that we're actually trying to self regulate, and then we tell them to self regulate, they want to try so much harder.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I love, thank you for the actual, like, like actual example of what to do, because I think a lot of parents are going to just take that nugget. Listen to that. Mm -hmm. Rewind that, play that back, you guys. Yeah. Like the most powerful thing you can do when you're feeling triggered by your kids. Right. Because (laughs) they
1: don't, they don't, they don't, they don't know that we struggle. They don't know that it's hard for us. And sometimes we don't know what to do. And when we don't know what to do and they don't know what to do and they're looking to us for guidance, that's a terrifying thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if I say, you know what, I don't know, but I'm going to wait till I'm calm and then I'm going to talk to you about it. Then what you're doing is you're first creating a a pause so that everyone can get out of their limbic system and calm down a little bit. But Mm -hmm. you're also modeling healthy communication. Okay. Move on to the
0: R. We digress. Yes.
1: Relationship. So it leads right into relationship because relationship isn't only about your child's behavior. So relationship is all the things and the ways that you connect in the ways that you build trust and you cultivate mutual understanding and reciprocity. All of those things happen when you're connecting through your relationship in healthy ways. And so part of it is um, being in those moments where you're like consciously creating these moments where you're spending time with them, where you're, you're just being with them. You're not, you don't have an expectation that the room is clean. You don't have an expectation that they, you know, teenagers tend to brace for every time they come, you come into the room. My kids used Mm -hmm. to do this all the time because I would come into the room. I'd say, why do you have plates in your room? What's these socks on the floor? Why are you playing video games when you're supposed to be doing such and such? And so it become, the dialogue can kind of devolve into this, you know, here comes the jail warden and now we're going to be in trouble. And that's not the relationship I wanted to foster with my children. So I really had to get clear with myself that I have to be, I have to be all in when things are just calm. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes that would mean, you know, I'm not a video game player and um, I'm not, you know. that's not how I want to spend my time but that was really important to my son when he was in a teenager and sometimes I would just lay on his floor and while he would play with his his games with his friends I'd say hey can I just hang out with you is that okay and just to be with him just to put some emotional currency in his bank and I didn't it took everything I had not to say anything about his dirty room and the homework that needs to get done. And what about this C in English? And, you know, all of that stuff can be handled, but not in that moment. In that moment, Mm -hmm. my intention and my purpose is to connect in a really healthy way. Um, I will also say with teenagers I've found in my practice and also just when I'm, you know, working with them, that it's very, um, it's really important where you position yourself in their when you're sitting with them. You know, if you're sitting face to face with yeah. a teenager, lots of times that just like breeds this conflict and they kind of brace for it. And um, we, we actually, there's, there's research that shows that when you're in a certain um, juxtaposition, especially with boys that their testosterone levels increase. And yeah. so what, what I What I try to do is just always sit next to them or I walk with them. If I want to talk with them about something that's going on, we go for a walk or we go for a drive. Those are the best times because you have access to them and they are able to they're they're not so braced for what's going to happen and they're a Mm -hmm. lot more
0: relaxed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I hear that. Uh, I think some of the best conversations I've had have been with my kids. I'm driving, and in the back seat, I hear them like asking me questions about the meaning of life. <laughs> right. <know? laughs> yeah. That's when all the
1: questions come. And I know parents, you know, they get so frazzled with driving kids everywhere. But I'm telling you, if you make that the time, the sacred time where we don't have earbuds in and iPads and things like that, where that is family connection time. It changes the whole context of how you get to school every morning, and it in if you if you you know not like that's not the time for the lecture either. That's the time to just like tell funny jokes or to tell the funniest thing that happened to you that week. It's it's sort of driving to school and back has become the new dinner table. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No,
0: actually, that, mm-hmm. I've never heard anyone say that, but yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Please, somebody take that as, like, a um, a hall pass, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. everyone's sitting around a dinner table, and depending on your kid, if they're having extreme behavior, that might be a time where you are all facing each other, and then now that's right. even more stress, right? Well, that's but usually yeah. when
1: teenagers start to refuse to come to dinner, is when things start to devolve, because they don't want to sit in that, in that uncomfortable time
0: frame with us. <laughs> It is time to run, not walk, to your bookstore or have your fingers do whatever is the equivalent of running to the Amazon store, so online, to purchase our new book. It's called The Working Mom Blueprint, Winning at Parenting Without Losing Yourself. It is a labor of love. I'm so excited to deliver this book baby to you and to help you really feel like you are winning at parenting without losing yourself, mama. you want to also check it out at the library, it's there, borrow it from a friend. However, I just want you to get this solid information so you can start thriving, not just surviving in motherhood. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. <laughs> Makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. So we have the, um, the behaviors, we have the relationship, and then mm-hmm. the A is next. Is attitude.
1: So we know teenagers are all about attitude, right? So they're either really outward with their attitude or they're inward. They, you know, in my experience, teenagers are either acting in or acting out, but no matter what they're acting, (laughs) right? So there's something going on, um, that is, that we are seeing that's concerning us in some way with attitude. And, um, It's really important, like I said earlier, that metaphor I used about the shark shark fin and the goldfish is really to understand the attitude is what is sort of coming out. It's what we see first, but that doesn't necessarily always align with what's going on inside of them. So understanding, like not giving all of our attention to that attitude is sometimes a really good way to handle it. The other thing is, we have to be aware of what our attitude is in each moment. You know, when I'm afraid, when I'm afraid for my child's safety, when I'm afraid that I'm screwing it up and I'm making the wrong decision, I tend to be very controlling and I tend to be very, um, you know, um, very clear and abrupt in the way that Mm -hmm. I handle things. And I have to know if I'm aware and I've been doing my own work as a parent, just kind of trying to deal with this stuff outside of the conflict, If I'm self-aware, then I'm going to be a lot more careful about the attitude that I throw. (laughs) Um, And I do, I do think, you know, teenagers, you know, they can be really dramatic and they can be, you know, there's, there's a lot of ups and downs in their world. Mm -hmm. And I think just accepting and allowing whoever that little being is developing into and, and knowing that, you know, sassy behavior, sassy attitude is actually a version of passion and could Mm -hmm. be a version of compassion, you know, Mm -hmm. and looking at what are, what are they, what, what is this attitude? Where's it coming from? Where's, what's the driving force behind it? And, um, and, you know, we often say, change your attitude to our, to our teenagers. And, um, I used to hear that a lot (laughs) when I was a teenager, and I never really understood what that meant because I didn't understand how other people were, were perceiving me. So part of it is helping them understand how they are perceived in certain moments. And that's, that's really important because if it's not aligned with what they're trying to say, it's, it's really can feel to them like they're misunderstood. And lots of times I'll say to teenagers, especially like in a family therapy session. Um, You know, I'll have a teenager who's really upset about a certain something and the parents are like, well, do you see how he acts? Do you see this? This is why we can't deal with him. And what I will do is I will sort of stop everything and look that teenager right in the face and say, you know what? I know what you're trying to say is so important to you. And I really want your parents to be able to hear it so we have to change the way we deliver it so that they can actually hear it. Because what you have to say is so important right now. So let's not give up. Let's try this again. And we, and I kind of help them as their conduit kind of help them yeah. heard in a certain way. And once they understand there's more than one way to get there, um, then they can, be, they can make a better decision about what sort of what strategy they're
0: going to use when they're talking to their parents. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, in that example, you're, you're, uh, coming alongside the teenager in some alignment with them so that they know that it's not like it's me, the therapist, my the therapist and my parents against me. Right. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. that you are there to be able to act as like, if there's like a game of telephone that mm-hmm. you're the person there to be doing the interpretation and writing right. it down clearly so everyone can actually see it in their language. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, I
1: actually say to teenagers, my job is to be your interpreter. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. literally my job for you. I, you're here because you're not being heard, you're not being understood, and you don't feel seen. And I know that, and I want to
0: make sure that happens for you. I bet that's so powerful for them. I mean, I think that's powerful. For, that's been powerful for me in my own like couples work. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. translates. I know you work as well that that Mm -hmm. translates into that too you know of just so much so many of the problems that we have with our partners are about just the way it was delivered is not a way that we can hear it right you know or Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like when you come at me like that I just like blocked out every single thing you heard (laughs) right (laughs) right well we're all
1: just really tall teenagers as adults right Right. yeah
0: right <laughs> yeah okay, so we work on the attitude, uh-huh uh, more and more i'm I'm as you talk, I'm like, oh, I have an eight year old teenager, yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and then we get to the v, yeah, that is value, so I think in that
1: moment, I think it's when things come up with teenagers, we often. Um, see the behavior and we decide it's a certain something, it's disrespectful or it's rude or it's um, mean or they're just being jerks or however we want to we want to interpret their behavior. But what happens if we look at it from the lens of value? What is my Mm -hmm. child valuing in that moment? I have um, a story that I share in the book about a teenager, and this probably happens at least once a week in my world, um, he got in trouble at school for vaping. And there were several uh, teenagers in the bathroom at the same time. And the administrator walked in, everyone took off except my client. And what happened was, um, the parents were called into the school, you know, like mm-hmm. they do, and it's the protocol. And they were telling him, we need to know, you need to tell us where you got this. We need you to tell us, you know, who you were with. We want you to name names, you know, and this boy refused. He said, I, I'm not going to tell you and his parents got really upset and they were like, you know, that's so disrespectful. You broke the law. Like, right. you know, you're they're trying to give you a, a chance here and you're blowing it and you know all the things that parents say to try to get their kids to open up. Sure. And I understand on the on the surface what the administrators needed and what the parents were trying to get to happen. But at the same time, I wanted them to look at what is your teenager valuing in that moment? What are, what are they holding as, as something that's important to them? And the parents looked at me like I had three heads and they really didn't understand where I was going. And I said, he's valuing friendship. He's valuing loyalty. Yeah. He's valuing discernment. He's valuing, um, Um, integrity. And and yes, there's discipline involved. And yes, we get to that. We get to that down the road. But first we have to understand, it's really important to understand, yes, in this context, he's going to get in more trouble. But you have to understand, maybe that's okay for him. Maybe Mm -hmm. you need to allow him to feel the pain of that consequence to decide he doesn't want to do it again. But it's also important to understand and recognize and acknowledge that he is withholding this, these very strong values. And if you can tell the truth in that moment, you're going to create much more connection and you're going to cultivate more trust and reciprocity with your teenager. And they're going to be more likely to think things through in a different way. If you see them as someone who's trusting and discerning and somebody with integrity.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah no I mean all of this right is about looking deeper. It's all about mm-hmm. like looking a step deeper uh, beyond beyond the surface as to the why behind it mm-hmm. as to the intention behind it and, yeah, which makes so much sense. I mean teenagers that is their most valued commodity <laughs> is their their friendships. Right. You know, it's like uh-huh. live or die. That's like, right. know, gangs, gangs mm-hmm. recruit teenagers right. mm-hmm. because these people are ride or die for their friends. Right. And and it makes so much sense that someone would say, I'd rather go down myself than be seen mm-hmm. as the sucker tatter, tattletale in my right. entire school. Like, right. I'm not going to have that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. they understand, maybe not fully, but they are thinking or considering all of those consequences in addition to the consequences that the parent is, parent is thinking about. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the O. Opportunity,
1: which is my favorite piece of this whole, everything that I, it all culminates to opportunity. If you can get in the mindset of trying to see everything from, from the, the viewpoint of opportunity, you're gonna have a much different way of dealing with your child. So my internal dialogue as a parent is, if it's, oh, this is going to be the longest day ever. Oh, he's in one of those moods again. Oh, here we go with her, you know, sassy behavior. And oh, this is going to be another one of those days. If that's the dialogue, everything kind of rolls from there. But if the dialogue, the internal dialogue is, hmm, okay, where's the opportunity here? She came mm-hmm. down the steps, she's sitting at the table. We haven't had mm-hmm. a blow up over oatmeal yet. So let's start mm-hmm. there. Like, wow, thanks for joining me this morning. I love the outfit you picked out. Maybe creating that moment in a much different way with that with that teenager is part of it. The other part of it is understanding that there's always an opportunity for a connection through every moment. I used to work with uh, juveniles in the juvenile court system Mm -hmm. and um, I often went to court with them. And so we'd be sitting out there in the little lobby before they bring you into the courtroom, and the parents would be there. And sometimes it would be the first time that both of their parents had been in the same room for their whole lives, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was a really um, emotionally impactful moment for that teenager, even though they didn't have the words and they're getting ready to go into the courtroom and that's scary and all those things. And I had a parent one time say, oh, they always love you when they're in trouble. And it seemed like such a little innocent thing to say. But the truth is, that's when this kiddo felt loved the most is when he was in trouble. Because that's where the when the parents show up. And I'm not I, I really I don't want parents to feel like when they hear this that, you know, it's all their fault and you know, their kids sure. are great and they just need to, you know, buck it up, buck up and you know, get with the program. I really want them to understand that we are imperfect human beings and we're gonna make mistakes on a regular mm-hmm. basis. But if we have the humility and the ability to say, Oh, I'm so sorry, I just exploded and I blew it. And I hope you can forgive me and I'm going to move forward with a much different way of talking to you. And I I promise you, you will not hear that out of my mouth again. Mm -hmm. If I take responsibility for how I'm showing up, I'm creating an opportunity. Number one, for my teenager to understand, Oh, it's hard for my parent to self-regulate. Of course, it's going to be hard for me. She doesn't have all the answers. And number Mm -hmm. two, I'm also creating this, this ability and this possibility for them to go, hmm, maybe this isn't who I have to be all the time. Maybe I don't have to be the troublemaker. Maybe I don't have to be the one who's always, you know, stirring the pot and throwing the bombs in the room. You know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe I could forgive myself and move forward. What I found really with teens that have extreme behaviors is that they're very ashamed of their behavior. They may look at you like, you know, have this kind of cocky self-confident sort of demeanor, but they're really, you know, I talk about teenagers as being puffer fish. They're really just puffer fish. They're just showing you how strong they are, but on the inside, they're just really fragile in a lot of ways and unsure and they need us to guide them. We just need to guide them in a different way as they get older.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's so true that For kids in general, you know, some attention, negative attention, is better than no attention, Mm -hmm. always, right? Mm -hmm. And what you came back to in the beginning, that, or when you said what you said in the beginning, that if a child notices, like, oh, when I do this, this is when my parents like really show up, right? Mm -hmm. They really notice me when I do this, you know. Um, that then it makes sense that then they would continue to repeat that behavior, and so. Yeah, looking for ways that we can catch them being good, Mm -hmm. looking for ways, like you said, that we can develop relationship when – it's not a moment where things are out of control and where it's maybe more tender or it's just Mm -hmm. like, nothing's going on. (laughs) Or Right.
1: But, but it's also that polarized part, you know, like we show up when they're at their worst and we show up when they're at their best. So when they're performing or they're falling apart and we have to find kind of that middle ground where we see them no matter what, and they know they're seen
0: and loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Even in the boring moments. You know, right, maybe. right. When <laughs> Even if in- like, nothing's <laughs> happening, yes. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. I I really hope that you guys took away some pearls from this today because I think, uh, like I said at the top, that this information is for teenagers. So if you have a teenager, an extreme teenager, or a non-extreme teenager, uh, you know, I, I want you to go out, run and get the Bravo effect. Jeez, <laughs> run and get the Bravo effect, but. Even if you don't, I think that the principles that you're hearing here apply to all kids. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for being here, Dr. Bravo. We really, really appreciate it. You're very welcome. I just wanted to
1: add that the book launches April 6th. So um, it'll be available, you know, at all your wherever you buy your books. And um, I'm really excited um, to bring it out into the world. Awesome. Thanks for being here. All right. Thank you.
0: Hey mama, if you want more of the modern mommy doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe. So you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag modern mommy Dog. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.